Morning. So there's a favorite Christmas carol of mine. And the writer for the lyrics of that carol was taken from a poem. Um, the, the carol is in the bleak midwinter. And the writer, uh, Christina Rossetti. But she also wrote another poem uh, for Christmas. Now, it was first published in about 1885. Shows how old the, 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 the poem is. Uh, but it didn't have a title when it was first published. But since it's gained the title, Love Came Down at Christmas. And we just lit our fourth uh, candle this morning, candle representing love. And so I just want to read that poem for you this morning um, before we go on and look a little bit deeper at love and, and, and attack a little bit that... Um, that, that passage of scripture that Dave just read for us. Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Star and angel gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead, love incarnate, love divine. Worship we our Jesus, but wherewith for sacred sign. Love shall be our token. Love be yours and love be mine. Love to God and all men. Love for plea and gift and sign. And that's been, that, those lyrics have been put to a little bit of music by different people um, for kind of choral presentation. Uh, I think Jars of Clay even contemporized it a little bit. Um, but it's kind of been described as a, as a carol without a tune. Um, I just, I love the poem. I think she's a great poet and doesn't get as much recognition as, as maybe she should. She says, love came down at Christmas. And only as I was sat just earlier this morning, did I look at our Advent banners. And that's what it says, love came down. And I'd never noticed that before. I bought them just because they had hope, peace, joy, and love on them. And I'd not quite concentrated on the love came down part. Uh, but love came down at Christmas. We're a week away from Christmas. It's hard to believe. There's still so much to do. But in one week's time, the kids will already have woken up. Which means I will already have had to have woken up in my house. They'll have unwrapped all their presents probably by this time. They'll be sat there playing with toys or reading new books. No matter how old the kids are, <laughs> I'm looking at Paul, <laughs> they will still get you up early and open all their presents and read and be playing with them right now. And as parents, those of you in the room who are parents, you'll be, if you hadn't before you wrapped those presents, adding batteries to the toys. <laughs> if you remember to buy the batteries. <laughs> My wife just was like, oh, batteries. <laughs> kind of a reminder for me as well as everyone else in the room. And if you're anything like me, you'll be organizing all of the debris that's everywhere in the living room. What's recyclable? What isn't? What can you just get rid of the trash? Well, how do you want to organize the cardboard and the plastic and, and all of that stuff? 
only a week away. And we've already hit that season. We've been there for quite a while where TV commercials are on and they're all promoting their idea of Christmas. And just this week, I, I caught the Home Goods 2022 Christmas commercial. And I've got to say, I really didn't like it at first. I definitely didn't like the beginning. The reason for the season is being with family and friends. Hosting, making sure you've got enough food and drink and having a party. And oh yeah, don't forget to go to Home Goods and spend your money as well. Because that's the reason that we've got Christmas. Yeah, I get that they're a store and they're trying to drive, drive you into their, into their premises. They want you to spend your hard-earned money in their store. And they tell us in this advert, you can spend less and you'll find all your heart's desires all season long. That's the message that comes to us at Christmas time through the television through the commercials and the stores that are trying to make Christmas about something that it isn't. Can you really find your heart's desires in a store? No, you can't. The reason for the season is the Christ child, because without Christ, you don't get Christmas. See, I don't mind so much people writing on a Christmas card or in a note, Xmas. I don't think that takes Christ out of Christmas because X is the nearest we have to the letter chai in the Greek, which was always used as a shorthand for Christ anyway by the early Christians. They've always used it. So if you see Xmas, that's not taking Christ out of Christmas. What takes Christ out of Christmas is a store telling us Christmas is all about food and drink and parties and shopping and being with friends. What takes Christ out of Christmas is the thought that it's all about the presents. Whether you're giving it or you're receiving it. But it's not about the presents. It's about Christ's presence. That's what Christmas is about. Like I said, the Home Goods advert, it, uh, commercial... I slipped into English advert, sorry. Um, it really griped me. But it did finish with a rather good line, and it sort of won me over a little bit, <clears throat> when it says, the favorite things about the season don't cost a fortune, they're found. They're found. And at Christmas, we go searching. In Advent, we're walking towards Christmas. We're searching for the things that we want to find. For hope, for peace, for joy, for love. We're searching to find Christ in the manger come Christmas morning. Matthew's Gospel today, the reading that we had, it reminds us of that. He's quoting Isaiah or Isaiah chapter 7. Every time I say it, Anne looks at me. She's like, get it right. I'm trying. Yeah, we're told, look, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. 
And he goes on to tell us that that means God with us. Yeah, this, this retelling of the birth of Jesus from Matthew's gospel, it's given from the point of view of Joseph. And that's why it's different to Luke's gospel, because that's given from the, the, the viewpoint of Mary. And so there's not a great deal that's a similar, but there's a few things that are the same. They concentrate on the key fact that Jesus was born. And they tell us that Mary was afraid. And that the angel said, don't be afraid. That's about the only similarities you'll find. The rest are perspective from the side of the story that we're looking through. And so today we're coming at it through the eyes of Joseph a little bit. And... We've got Joseph being told Mary's expecting a baby. And the child that she's carrying is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now we stop there for a moment because this one line of scripture has had many, many arguments on it over the last century. And some of them have kind of resurfaced a little bit. Um, and we've talked about them. It's one of the reasons we had a long conversation around where we feel we belong as a church. These arguments, they range from disagreeing that it can be fact because miracles don't happen. It's far too far-fetched for a baby to be born without a human father. It's unnecessary for some. It's complicated. It, it doesn't need to be there. And some would argue there's no place for it in Scripture because of the complication that it brings. The unnecessary conversation. Because, I said, sadly, for some, they don't believe in miracles. Some will go as far as to say, well, Joseph, you know, when... when when he was living and, and people, they didn't really know where babies came from. Well, if Joseph didn't know where babies came from, why was he going to quietly divorce a woman that was carrying a baby that wasn't his? Right? He knew. And that's why the angel needed to come and speak to him. Miracles happen. Yeah, we explain away healings today. You know? I remember a great story of a... A mom who had a headache and she had a little girl with her, no one else. And she just said to the girl, I can't, I've got my head, my head, I can't, just, just pray for me. And the little girl only, only knew one prayer. So she just said, thank you, Lord, for this food. But the headache went away. Because it's not the words we speak that bring the miracle about. It's God that brings the miracle about, always. And that's the same here with the miracle of a virgin birth. But that complicates things. Like I said, there's people in the church who will tell you that Mary stayed a virgin forever. But scripture right here tells us she didn't because... Joseph had no marital relationship with her until she had given birth to Jesus. That, to me, suggests that, that he very well did afterwards. And we've got brothers of Jesus running about. So where did they come from? See, if we believe 
this story of Christmas as it's written, and we live into and we believe the rest of the story of Jesus, then we believe that love came down. And we believe a few other things that we need to really dig into this morning. Yeah, John 3.16, a very familiar verse, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Well, Jesus is that son. He is our savior, and he is our God. And in the words of the creed, which we said, didn't we? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. And remember when we looked at the creed before, everything in the creed is 100% backed up in Scripture. And we see that right there as we had Dave read to us today. We're professing in that statement the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. That gospel reading from today, if you go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, you'll see a rather carefully laid out uh, genealogy of Jesus. Starts with David. Well, no, in the middle of the way, David starts with Abraham. Tracking. But it ends with a very peculiar statement. It ends with Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, the Messiah. You're tracking Joseph's line, and you get to Jesus, and they're trying to prove that Jesus is of David's line, and you then get that line. It kind of creates a bit of a question. And so this story of Jesus being born is trying to answer that question in a way, trying to kind of negate that problem that might come about. Because remember, we are talking about Mary having been pledged to Joseph, and but before they come together, she's found to be pregnant. Matthew is writing very much as a Jew, if this wasn't true, it would be very, very difficult for a Jew to write it. There are so many pagan stories at that time which go along the line of God's intervening and having human children. Matthew's not going to want to try and complicate things. He's simply writing what he believes to be truth and what I believe, and I'm sure many of you believe to be truth also. And as that's the case, Jesus is God's son. But he's also Mary's son. And because that's true, Mary gets the title Theotokos, which translates as mother of God. Because if Jesus is God's son, and Jesus is therefore God, but he is also Mary's son, then if he's God and Mary's his mother, Mary is mother of God. That's the phrase that some of you might be sitting with and going, eh, I'm not so comfortable about that. 
I don't know what I feel about that. But we're going to unpack that a little bit more because I said there's some strange ideas that have come about just from this simple passage surrounding the conception and the birth of Jesus, including, like I said, Mary's uh, remaining a virgin, which we've kind of answered, but also her being perfect. There's a, there's a joke that I've got some friends of mine that believe slightly differently to me, uh, tell me, oh, it must have been so hard being Joseph, having to live with two perfect people. You know, I, I don't know about everyone here. No one in my life is perfect. No one. Some people are close to it, but no one's perfect. And I've got to live with that, and I've got to realize that but I'm probably the most imperfect person in my life. You see, Mary wasn't perfect. But that doesn't mean we don't get to call her mother of God because that doesn't make her more perfect. It's like Luther wrote on the councils and the churches in 1539, and he said that God did not derive his divinity from Mary but it does not follow that it is therefore wrong to say God was born of Mary. Mary is God's mother. She is true mother of God, bearer of God. Mary suckled God. She rocked God to sleep. She prepared broth and soup for God. For God and man are one person, one Christ, one son and one Jesus. They are not two Christ's. And just as your son isn't two sons, even though he has two natures, body and soul, the body from you and the soul from God alone. Oh, there's another lovely carol that I always like hearing around this time of year. Talks of Mary having been visited by the angel Gabriel. You know, and he's there going, highly favored lady. I'm not going to sing it for you. <laughs> Maybe Paul will later, I don't know, but I'm not. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to come up at Christmas Eve either. Um, but he says, how highly favored lady. And that's taken directly out of Luke's gospel. And I was thinking about Mary and how she's relating to the story, how she sees things. Because the angel says to her, greetings, most favored one, most highly favored. The Lord is with you. And sometimes we see the addition of uh, blessed among women. You see, she is highly favored. Scripture tells us that. And I'm not saying Mary was perfect. I never want to hear you think that I'm saying she's perfect because she wasn't. She was imperfect as a human being. But in lining things up with Scripture, with our traditions, what I am saying is in line with what Luther preached on Christmas morning in 1531, when he said that Mary, about Mary, he said she is the highest woman and noblest gem of Christianity after Christ. She is nobility, wisdom, holiness, holiness personified. And we can never honor her enough. But still, honor and praise must be given her in such a way as to, um, as, as to endure neither Christ nor the Scriptures. 
think Mary gets a hard deal. And many people try to just kind of forget, really, about Mary. Because it's right that we commemorate, that we remember her and all that she'd done. Not only during Christmas and the lead up to it, but also in the rest of the story of Jesus. And within the Lutheran Church, we have a day where we commemorate her. August the 15th. It's set aside for, for remembering all that she has done and, and learning how we can better live our lives in reflection of how she lived hers. But I feel that Christmas is a great time to do the same thing as well. And as we heard on the first Sunday of Advent, as Wendy was preaching, the importance of Christmas is clear, but it only points really to the essentialness of Easter. See, without Christmas, there can be no Easter. Without Christmas, there is no story of redemption. There's no access to salvation. Without Christmas. Mary loved Jesus as only a mother could. And I'm sure you've all heard that phrase, there's no love like a mother's love. I can see where it comes from. You know, in an earthly sense, okay. But we know there is a greater love than a mother's love, and that's the love of the Father. It's the love of God. The love which he has for you, the love which came down at Christmas. That lived with us, that dwelt among us, and that ultimately went to die for us. Now, of course, our response to that is very important, isn't it? In fact, I'd say it's more than important, it's necessary that we respond. Because our acceptance of who Jesus is leads us to being able to be in him and have him in us. We love him, and John tells us this, because he first loved us. So what's your response of love for him? What's your response to his love for you? And we often associate love with our hearts, right? But we don't think of love, or we shouldn't think of love, as this warm, fuzzy feeling. Because love is, it's actionable. It's not just a feeling that we hide behind. But our heart is it is the source of our life, physically. If the heart doesn't work, the rest of the body doesn't work. And if we're going to really work as disciples, we need our heart to work as a disciple. <laughs> we need to give our heart to Jesus. We need to love God. In, in, uh, the, the, the carol in the bleak midwinter, it kind of finishes with some questions and then a statement. It says, uh, what can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, 
I would do my part. But what I can, I give him. Give my heart. So what are you giving today? What are you giving? Are you bringing something that you tend and care for? Are you trying to do your bit? Whatever you think that bit is? Because that's not what Jesus is asking for. Not on the outset. That can all follow later. Jesus is saying, I want you. I want your heart. Everything else will flow from that. You will get life when you give me your heart. Life in all its fullness. An abundant life that can't be topped by anything else. Because from that, when you give your heart, everything else will fall into place. You've heard me say, love God and do what you want. Because if you truly love God, that everything that you want to do will be in line with he wants what he wants for you. In the closing of that poem that I opened with, love shall be our token. Love be yours and love be mine. Love to God and all men. Love for plea and gift and sign. How are you going to respond to him today? What are you going to give him? I'll give you a clue. The only thing he wants is what he wants you to give. And everything else is a gift that's going to be meaningless. It's going to be worthless. It's not going to carry Because the only thing that gains access to the Father is a love for him. That it beats and goes above everything else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that love came down at Christmas. that you came to dwell with us. You walked this earth and ultimately went on to die for us on the cross. As we respond to you today, as we respond to you this week, help us to bear in mind all that you continue to do for us all of the love that you continue to show us day in, day out. Through the simple acts of others, through the miracles that we see and hear of. Come, we invite you, Lord, to dwell with us, to stay with us, to love and be loved by us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.